There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, I'm Chris Meek, and you've tuned to this week's episode of Next Steps Forward. As always, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us again. Our guest today is Jen Graneman. Jen is the founder of Introvert Deer and the co-founder of Sensitive Refuge. An educator and a journalist, she's the co-author of a fascinating, and I'd even say a groundbreaking new book, Sensitive. She's also the author of The Secret Lives of Introverts. Jen's been featured in the New York Times and Washington Post by the BBC, BuzzFeed, Glamour, Huffington Post, and more, as well as on numerous podcasts. She lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, where she claims to be to lead a, quote, pleasantly boring life. Jen Graneman, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Hi, I'm excited to be here. No, thanks for your time. So it's really great to have you with us. And I was eager to talk to you because of your latest book, Sensitive. And we're definitely not going to let you all go without discussing the secret life of introverts. But I have to ask at the start, are you a sensitive person? Yes, absolutely. I'm that person who cries when I watch a pet rescue video, or I can tell if someone is feeling a little angry or disappointed, is trying to hide it. I'm definitely a sensitive person. Is it just sixth sense? Is it just an innate thing where something just triggers that sensitive, those emotions? Yeah, it's, I've always been like this. Um, And research shows that sensitive people are likely born with their sensitivity. Um, It's not something that I can turn off or make go away. And personally, I wouldn't want to make it go away because I think it can be a real strength. Maybe we can elaborate on that. In what ways are you sensitive and how they helped you and or hindered you in your life? Oh, uh, what ways am I not sensitive, Chris? Uh, (laughs) Let's see. Um, Well, um, I, like I said, I am definitely the kind of person who feels moved by art or beauty or just, you know, hearing a sad story. I think there are some sensitivities to my environment. Uh, I hate loud noises. I had to tell someone that he could not sneak up on me and scare me because that is just like my kryptonite. I just get startled very easily at a loud noise. Uh, My son is the same way. Um, you know, if there's, like I said, if there's a sudden noise or a lot of noise, or personally, I am not someone who won't, who can wear tight clothing because that will just really irritate me. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I, I'm just, I take in more from my environment, whether it's the environment around me or the people around me. We've got a pretty big thunderstorm rolling in here in Connecticut. So hopefully the, uh, the thunder won't be won't scare you too much there, make you sensitive <laughs> on that. I'll do <laughs> Hopefully my best. my power doesn't go out too. <laughs> Oof. So are you a native Minnesotan? And share some yes. of your background and upbringing with us, please. Sure. So yes, I grew up in Minnesota. I currently live in St. Paul, Minnesota with my son. I went to school, got a journalism degree. I was a newspaper reporter and editor for many years. I went back to school, got a teaching license. I was a teacher for many years. And then I returned to writing when I found something I was really passionate about. And I have to ask, because we talked about this right before the show, do you ice fish? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, we did talk about this before the show. And you said you were shocked when you learned that ice fishing was real. Was a real Um, thing. For me, it is just like second nature, right? Like everyone I know goes ice fishing. It's just, it's just life. I was telling Jen before the show that my first time in Minneapolis was during the holidays and I was flying in and looked down and saw these little black dots down there and didn't know what they were. And as we got closer, I'm like, oh my God, there are people actually out there ice fishing. It just, I didn't realize how big it was, I should say. It's a so way thank, of life in Minnesota. No, I love it. Thank you for clarifying that for me. So what motivated you and your co-author to write Sensitive? Well, I've always felt like there was something wrong with me because of my sensitivity. I'm someone who can notice when someone is maybe trying to hide an emotion. I'm someone who can notice just little details in my environment, but I also feel drained more easily than other people do. Or like I said, get startled more easily. There's just some challenges that I have to deal with because of my sensitivity. And so I always felt like there was something wrong with me and there was something that I needed to fix about myself. 
So when I stumbled upon some research, um, you know, decades ago at this point, talking about sensitivity and how people are, some people are just born more sensitive. And yes, there are challenges, but there are also superpowers. It can be an incredible advantage in life that really resonated with me. And it helped me see myself in a different light. And it helped me to embrace those strengths and also learn to work with the challenges. So when you're excited about something, you want to share it with other people. To me, this information was absolutely life-changing. So I've been writing about this topic for a long time and then getting to write my book about it was you know, another way that I could take the next step and share this information with more people. Was it more, uh, I'll say like therapeutic in terms of coming to grips in terms of understanding, like, okay, I'm sensitive and that's okay. And that's who I am. And that's normal. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was therapeutic for me in a way. You're exactly right. Yeah. There, there, there was a word for what I was experiencing. There was a word for this, the struggles I had been through. And it also meant I wasn't alone. There are other sensitive people out there like me who are going through life feeling, you know, like, like a living radar, just picking up all these things around us. And yeah, so it, it it felt good. It felt good to put a name to what I was experiencing. Well, I think in today's world too, it's hard not to be sensitive. I mean, we've we've just gone through the global pandemic. You know, you've you've got the the talking heads and the bully pulpit and the politicians and and whatever the capital there is now. And there's just so much stuff thrown at us. It's hard not to be sensitive now. You know, with social media, with the news. It, do you feel? that you're helping other people in terms of saying, look, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to think this way because it's completely normal, natural, and quite frankly, necessary right now. Right. Everyone is sensitive to some degree. There's research that finds that, you know, the people like me, the highly sensitive people, there are about, about, about 30% of the population are highly sensitive. Then about 40% are in the middle and then 30% are on the other end. So the, you know, we might call those the less sensitive people. Um, so yeah, everyone is sensitive to some degree and, I think it's it's never been easy to be a sensitive person, but you're right. There's there are some things happening in our world right now that make it especially challenging. And what has the reaction been so far to your book? You know, uh, it's been really fun to see the reaction to my book. People will email me and say, "I, you, you know, I, I had no idea that this was this was a real thing." Right? That's something that people often say. Wow, this is a real thing. There's science behind it. There are studies behind it. Uh, there's a name to this. And so I think it feels really validating to people when they realize, hey, I've been a highly sensitive person for my whole life and I didn't really know what was going on with me. But now that I have this word, I can understand it better. Uh, so yeah, overall, it, it, it's been uh, a really positive reaction. Uh, the book was just named um, an Amazon best book of 2023 so far. So that that was really exciting to see that. Well, let's get it out there. Where can people find your book? You just mentioned Amazon. Where else? Sure. Uh, Amazon, any major bookseller. Um, yeah, pretty much anywhere. Anywhere books are sold. And why is sensitivity, from your perspective, an essential personal trait? You know, like I said, everyone is sensitive to some degree. Uh, so it's it's not just me. It's not just us highly sensitive people, right? We, we all cry when something is sad. We all feel overwhelmed after a busy day or feel more stress or anxiety or, you know, feel uncomfortable in certain environments. So that, that's nothing new. Everybody experiences sensitivity to some degree. But there are those of us who are more sensitive. And I think it's an essential personality trait because, you know, it, we're out there. 30% of the population experience this and everyone experiences it to some degree. Um, what I'd like to see is that we stop feeling like we need to hide our sensitivity or covering it up and just feeling more comfortable talking about these things. I was just going to ask you about that, about hiding and covering up. So you, you read my mind. I'm reading, I'm sensitive. <laughs> you the script too. Yes, that too. <laughs> if we were sitting down with a legal pad and making a list of pros and cons, what are the pros and cons of being highly sensitive? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there are a lot of pros personally. Sensitive people tend to have high empathy. Brain scans show that areas of the brain related to empathy light up more in sensitive people. And it's not just that they have more empathy, but they feel compelled to help. So I like to say that a sensitive person can't witness someone else in pain without feeling like they want to help. And that's amazing, right? Our world right now could use more empathy, right? I want to live in a kinder and more understanding world, not, not less. 
Uh, sensitive people also tend to be creative. That isn't to say that every sensitive person is a musician or artist or writer, but they tend to be creative in some way because if you're sensitive, your brain is taking in more information. Your brain is doing more with that information. You're making more connections. You may be noticing things that other people have missed. So of course, you're going to have creative ideas, right? If you're making those connections. Sensitive people also tend to have high sensory intelligence. So that means being more aware of your surroundings. And this can be incredibly useful if you're in the military or in the uh, police, because you know you you need to keep your unit safe. And if you're noticing what's going on in your environment, you can keep yourself and your team safe. Uh, same thing with sports, right? Um, if you are more aware of what's going on in the field, you're going to be a better athlete. Uh, sensitive people have rich emotions, which can help them connect with other people really well. And then they also process things deeply. They think deeply about things. They reflect on what they've experienced and seen and heard. Um, and, you know, that that deep thinking and deep reflection that, that can lead to so many positives. So I've talked all about the pros, <laughs> right? Here, I'm just, I'm just here to advocate for sensitivity, right? Um, <laughs> but the cons, okay, because you asked. So, um, you know, it, it can be hard to be a sensitive person. When you have a lot of empathy, it hurts. It hurts to feel pain. It hurts to feel other people's pain, right? And I think, um, you know, sensitive people tend to be generous and kind. Um, and so some people might take advantage of your generosity. Uh, I think it can be challenging because you feel overstimulated easily. When you pick up on so much from your environment, well, a, a loud or busy place like a restaurant or, um, you know, even just an office or a classroom, that can feel stressful and that can feel overwhelming when you're picking up lots of details. So sensitive people tend to feel more stress and more fatigue just because their brains and bodies are always doing so much. So it sounds like there are a lot more pros than cons. I would like to say there are, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll advocate for yeah, that. Absolutely. absolutely. I think it was about three to one from the ratio you just gave us. Great. <laughs> Let's go with that. Is it possible for someone to learn to be more sensitive or is it just something you're born with? Well, when we're talking about it as a personality trait, we are talking about something that you're born with. Scientists think there is a genetic pattern for sensitivity, meaning you're probably born with certain genes that make you more or less sensitive. Um, also experiences in your childhood or even things that your mother experienced while she was pregnant with you can shape your level of sensitivity. Uh, you know, with that said, everyone can learn to have more empathy. Everyone can learn to pay a little more attention to details or to enhance their creativity. So certainly everyone can learn to cultivate some of those traits of sensitivity. And is there a way to measure sensitivity, like a scale that we can rate ourselves or others can rate us? You know, there isn't like a, you don't get like a sensitivity score necessarily, right? <laughs> there are some tests out there, uh, but sensitivity is not something you're diagnosed with. You can't go to a doctor and get, a, you know, a, a sensitivity diagnosis, right? Because it, it's not a disorder. It's something that is a personality trait. Uh, but with that said, there are definitely self-tests you can take. Um, the, the researcher who originally coined the term, Dr. Elaine Aaron, she has a wonderful self-test out there. You can find it online or in her book. My book also has a sensitivity checklist. And the more, uh, the more points that you check, the more sensitive you are as a person. So you can find that in my book. Um, or also, you know, like I said, there's a lot of self-tests online. On Amazon and other booksellers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so what is considered highly sensitive and what's considered normal or average for lack of better words? Yeah. So, you know, if you're a highly sensitive person, it means that you are more in tune with your environment. Your brain processes things deeply. You reflect on things deeply. And a lot of this deep processing happens unconsciously. A lot of sensitive people don't even realize that their brains and bodies are taking in more from their environment and then analyzing that information more. Um, so if you're sensitive, you know, you, you might cry more easily. You might notice those little details. Maybe you notice, uh, you know, a, a missing line of computer code, or, or maybe you notice, um, you know, you're, you're thinking about, well, it rained yesterday. So it's going to be muddy today when I'm walking. Right. So you're, you're thinking about your environment and you're thinking about those little implications. Um, and again, everyone does this to some degree. It's just a matter of how much do you do it and, and how, um, you know, how naturally in tune are your brain and body with your environment? 
How many studies have been done on the topic of sensitivity? Is it well understood or are researchers really just scratching the surface right now? It is fairly well understood. This trait has been being studied since, uh, well, for quite a while, but the, the researcher who began studying it in the 1990s was Elaine Aaron, and she coined the term highly sensitive person. And since then, there's been quite a few studies on it. Um, you know, some of these studies are small, so our understanding is still evolving. It's not something we can say, you know, 100% exactly it's, it's this way or that way, but it is something that is a fairly well-studied trait. And why should we reframe the way we think about sensitivity? Well, you know, <laughs> um, I, I think a lot of people still see it as a weakness. Sensitivity is still stigmatized. People say, don't be so sensitive or toughen up or get over it or you'll be okay. Right. A, a sensitive topic is one that might embarrass the listener or offend the listener. Right. So the word sensitive is used in different ways. Sensitivity is often associated with the feminine. Um a lot of men don't want to be seen as sensitive. For example, when I was writing my book, I gave it to a friend to read the rough draft. And she said, oh my gosh, I think I'm a sensitive person. And she said, I think the guy I'm dating is a sensitive person. So she went and she took the book to him and she said, I think you're a highly sensitive person. And he got really offended. He <laughs> said, if anyone called me sensitive, I would be really offended. Um, he got, he got mad about it. Right. So, so I think men especially don't want to be seen as sensitive. Um, and again, I'm, I'm here to reframe it as a normal part of human life and actually not just normal, but it can be an advantage to be sensitive. Well, maybe as a follow-up to that about your, your friend's boyfriend, do sensitive males receive different treatment than sensitive females? You know, I, right. I, I have heard from a lot of men that yes, they they don't want to be sensitive. They feel the need to hide it. Um, they they feel they need to hide their emotions. They feel the need to push through any pain or discomfort. Um, and there's some inter interesting research out there that shows that um, boys are were, who were given a self test for sensitivity um, when they were young, and they and they scored as highly sensitive people. They were given that test later on when they were teenagers. And the same boys who scored as highly sensitive now did not score as highly sensitive people. Uh, now, th this is interesting because we know that sensitivity as a personality trait doesn't really go away. You can learn to cope with the challenges, but it doesn't really go away. If you're a sensitive person, you'll probably always be a sensitive person. Uh, so what researchers think was going on here was that by the time the boys became teenagers, it was not cool to be a sensitive person. So they were they were covering it up on the test. Um, and I, I think that's, I think that's indicative of a lot of men's experiences with sensitivity. Well, that's a good segue for the next question. Is there a generational difference in the way sensitivity is perceived and treated? You know, I don't want to say that every generation is, is one way or another. I think everyone is, is different, but I do think that in older generations, there's been this tendency to hide our emotions. And like I said, toughen up, push through, get over it, move on. In our book, we call this the toughness myth. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that is because up until this point, it, it hasn't, our culture hasn't really been accepting of expressing emotions, especially men is expressing emotions. I think it hasn't been comfortable for most people to express their emotions. And, you know, when I say expressing emotions, I'm not saying you walk into work and burst into tears, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Um, but just um, you know, a, a healthy expression of emotion. Uh, so yes, I, I think maybe the tides are turning a little bit, and people are starting to become a little more comfortable expressing their sensitivity. You know, it's interesting you talk about the older generation. Um, I do a lot of uh, volunteer work in, in the veteran space, and you think about the World War II veterans and the Vietnam veterans. They never talked about the issues right. that they were struggling with afterwards, and it was, yes. you know, it was shell shock in World War II and. They blamed Agent Orange for Vietnam, but now in the the post 9/11 generation, you know PTSD is out there, veteran suicide at 20 days out there, and so it's getting people to talk a lot more about it, and it's just you know kicking down that stigma. Yes, absolutely, yeah. And to, and to your point, there's going to be a stigma about being sensitive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I could not agree more. And you're right that sensitivity is quote tied to some of our species' best qualities. If that's the case, why does sensitivity have such a bad rap in so many circles? 
Yeah, great question. I think sensitivity has a bit of a PR problem. Uh, you know, you know, we we tell people to not be so sensitive. And um, yeah, I, I think it's because, you know, a lot of times people don't understand what we mean when we talk about sensitivity as a personality trait. Um, we use the word sensitive in a lot of ways. We tell people that they're being too sensitive when they're overreacting to something. Or we tell people they're being too sensitive when we ourselves don't want to take responsibility for how we might have hurt someone. Let's say we make a joke and it doesn't land well and, you know, the other person is hurt and we say, oh, just don't be so sensitive, right? That, that's the, that's our way of passing the responsibility on to someone else instead of taking responsibility for ourselves and saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't okay. Uh, so yeah, I, I think um, I think part of it is just the way we use the word sensitive, and um, you know, and and again, I think we have been at this place in our culture where it hasn't been comfortable to express um, our sensitivity or talk about our emotions or or talk about certain things that we struggle with. The sensitive people tend to marry other sensitive people, or is it more a case of the old line of just opposites attract? Ooh, you know, I wish I had a solid answer to that. Um, there is not any hard data on, you know, if you're a sensitive person, you're more likely to marry a, another sensitive person or, or anything like that. No studies have been done along those lines. Um, if you are a sensitive person, it's probably more likely you will marry someone who is not sensitive because sensitive people make up 30% of the population. So that means that most people you meet probably will not be a sensitive person like you are. Um, with that said, I think sensitive people can enjoy an awesome relationship together. I think that if you're a sensitive person paired up with another sensitive person, you might have some different challenges. Um, you know, I, I think sensitive people tend to avoid conflict and want to keep the peace. They might have trouble speaking up for their needs in a relationship. They might, you know, both be very giving to the point of it harming themselves. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there are challenges no matter who you are paired up with. I think there are different challenges if you're a sensitive person paired up with a less sensitive person. Um, you know, a less sensitive person is just not going to quite understand the things that you struggle with. Or they, you know, might just be like, why are you, why are you like this? Why can't we just go and go to the loud restaurant and then, you know, go do this and go to the store and run around all day? And, you know, um, sensitive people tend to feel worn out when there's a lot going on, you know, um, just even, even a lot of errands or in a, in a weekend or social activities in a weekend. Uh, so I think there, there's probably always going to be some tension between a sensitive person and a less sensitive person in that way. Are sensitive people more likely to have sensitive children? Mm. So sensitivity is genetic. Uh, again, there isn't any study that says if you're sensitive, then it's, you know, an X percent chance of you having a sensitive child. We just don't know that yet. Uh, but yes, given that sensitivity is genetic, I think it is, you know, stands to reason that you would have a sensitive child. Uh, I'm a sensitive person. Uh, my son is definitely a sensitive person. <laughs> so uh, take that for what you will. He is the kind of kid that, um, you know, he, a motorcycle drives by and he jumps and he gets scared. And it's interesting to see him around other kids his age because the other kids are just like, oh, whatever. Right. And he's like, a loud sound. Um, so he's just like me in that in that regard. I feel like we have to have your friend and your boyfriend on because I've got a handful of questions here that I think they could give some insight <laughs> right, to. Right, right. Let's get them <laughs> can on. We, can we phone a, phone a friend, a lifeline here? Right. <laughs> When it comes to relationships, do sensitive people require more from relationship than less sensitive people? You know, I think, I, I don't think that sensitive people are necessarily high maintenance, um, right? I think you can be high maintenance and sensitive or high maintenance and not sensitive, right? I think those two don't necessarily go together. But what I do think is that sensitive people require more meaning from their relationships, they desire meaning in their life. We all desire meaning, but sensitive people especially do. They will orient their lives around seeking meaning, whether it's in their relationships or their jobs or whatever. Uh, so yes, I, I do think sensitive people want that extra layer of meaning and connection and closeness with their partners. The perceptions and stereotypes about sensitivity seem to be pretty much baked into the cake culturally. How long do you think it will take to change them or can they ever be changed? Ooh, you know, I, I wish I had a timeline to answer that question. 
I think they are changing now. I'm hoping my book is something that helps move us forward to change things. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we're making steps. I, I, I think there's a lot of work to go, but I think we're making steps. The book shares with us some stories about a potential connection between sensitivity and genetics, including one related to the 9-11 attacks. Would you share that story, please? Sure. So I, I, will, I will try to share this story. I will try to compress it. Uh, but basically, this is the foundation of epigenetics. Epigenetics means how our genes are changed based on things that we experience, how their expression is changed. So one study found that women who were pregnant during the 9-11 attacks and who, who were involved directly and survived and then went on to develop PTSD because, right, it, it was very traumatic, um, they had children who were also more likely to develop PTSD. And at the time, researchers thought, well, you know, kids who were kids, kids whose parents have PTSD probably have PTSD themselves because their parents are talking about the scary things that happened to them. And in talking about those things, it traumatizes the children and the children end up with trauma themselves. Um, you know, other people thought, well, there, the moms may have genes that make them more likely to have PTSD. So maybe their children inherited those genes. Well, this study found that that wasn't quite true. It controlled for a couple of variables and it found, um, that the connection was strongest when the mother was, when 9-11 happened in the third trimester of the mother's pregnancy. They also found that the kids were no more likely to have PTSD if the dads had PTSD. So it was linked to the mother. So this told scientists a few things. It told them that their old theories about the way trauma and PTSD are passed down were not accurate. And also told them that perhaps genes are changing in their expression, perhaps genes are read differently. And so perhaps a stressful or traumatic experience that the mother experiences can actually change things in utero for her child. Uh, so this is fascinating. Scientists still don't know a lot about epigenetics, right? We're still just scratching the surface here. But it's possible. Some other researchers went on and did some studies with prairie voles. They stressed them out. They watched the effects of, you know, the the stressed out mothers who were pregnant and, and watched the effects on their, their prairie vole pups as they grew up. And they found that, yeah, probably there is a link between the mother experiencing stress while pregnant and the child being a little more sensitive. And the idea here is that that stress sends a message to the child while the child is still in the mother's womb. And it says, Hey, pay attention. It's a wild world out here. There are some things happening and you need to, <laughs> to be sensitive to your environment. Uh, so again, we're still uncovering these clues. We don't know all, all of this for certain, uh, but it, it's so fascinating that there might be that link between stress and sensitivity. You know, that 9-11 PTSD thing is, is fascinating to me. Uh, yeah. my, lis my listeners know, so I was at Ground Zero 9-11, have spent the majority of my career working around Ground Zero uh, since then. And in 2018, I self-diagnosed myself as having PTSD. And it took me 17 years to go back. You know, and wow. my wife and I now, my wow. wife and I now have three kids since then. So I'm wondering, I'm just curious and fascinating now based on that, the research right. you're talking about. So, so thank you oh, for sharing that's that. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's so interesting. We've been talking right. to Jen Grandeman, and we'll be right back after a short break. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And my guest today is Jen Graneman, co-author of the fascinating book, Sensitive, the hidden power of the highly sensitive person in a land, I'm excuse me, in a loud, fast, too much world. And we're discussing Jen's premise that sensitive people have gotten a bad rap and that sensitivity is, in fact, a very positive trait. Jen, as we think about sensitive people in a positive light, we often think of their musical or artistic, excuse me, artistic abilities. Is there a proven connection between sensitivity and brilliance? Great question. This is one of my favorite uh, topics around sensitivity. So, you know, there is, there is a connection between sensitivity and brilliance. And that's not to say that every sensitive person is a genius or an incredible artist or something like that. Um, But, but sensitivity has been linked to brilliance. Um, I interviewed Linda Silverman, the director of the gifted and talented center, and she has done a lot of research over the years that has found that some of the people with the highest IQs tend to be sensitive. Um, and, and so, it, you know, it, it's just, I think it makes sense um, because if you are a sensitive person, you're taking in more from your environment, you're reflecting deeply on that information. And so it, it makes sense that you would, you would notice more, you would remember more uh, and that you would have some form of brilliance. You've also written about introverts. I asked this question earlier about sensitive people, but I'm also curious about introverts. Are there different types of introverts? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I wouldn't exactly say there are different types of introverts, but I think our introversion shows up in different ways. Um, I think we all, um, you know, I, I think as introverts, we all generally like to spend time alone. We enjoy it. We like smaller gatherings. Um, we're probably not going to be at that loud party every weekend, you know, maybe every once in a while, right? I, I enjoy a party every now and then. I just don't want to do it all the time uh, because that is exhausting for me as an introvert. And I probably don't want to stay for very long either. I'm always the person who leaves the party early. Um, but yeah, I, I think introversion shows up in lots of different ways. I, I think um, you have people who are, they, you know, they, they can kind of project in a, an image of extroversion for a little while that, that is me. Right. And then we need to sort of go back to our introvert caves and recharge our energy. And then I think there are others, um, who just know like, nope, this is what I want to do. I just want to be by myself. Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm not going to project that, um, extroversion, right? We, we call that like an extroverted introvert or, or maybe an ambivert, uh, someone who can kind of uh, do a little bit of both. Uh, but yeah, so, so I think just like sensitivity, introversion shows up differently for different people. And you might feel introverted in one situation and more extroverted in another situation, right? Uh, sometimes it is context dependent. Now, this probably seems like an obvious question and hopefully not a dumb one, <laughs> but, why, but why do introverts like to be alone? Aren't people supposed to interact with each other? <laughs> Why do introverts like to be alone? Oh, that that is a great question. That, that's not a dumb question. I love it. Okay, good. Um, y- you are you are right. We all, as human beings, have a need to connect with other people. Introverts have a need to connect with other people. We have a need to have relationships in our lives. Um, we are social creatures as human beings. That is how we were wired and designed. 
introverted people and also sensitive people to some degree, we just get more tired more easily from socializing than other people do. And so we have to go and withdraw. Introverts tend to be internally focused as well. They tend to have very present and vivid inner worlds, maybe a strong imagination, or maybe, um, you know, just that strong inner monologue, or you just like to sit and think and reflect on things. Uh, so introverts tend to be drawn to those more internal activities, which, you know, are, are usually done alone. Uh, so yes, we introverts absolutely need people. We introverts can feel lonely if we don't have enough people in our lives. Uh, but we do need to take that time to withdraw and recharge our energy. So then introverts must have thrived during the pandemic, <laughs> like, like, like made for that situation. Is, is there any research coming out now that we're on the other side of it in terms of how they're uh, reacclimating to society and getting back out there in terms of their, their normal interaction? You know, I have not seen any hard and fast research that, that says, you know, how introverts are acclimating, but I can tell you just, you know, anecdotally what I've heard. Um, I think so. So in my, in my experience working with my community of introverts, I think a lot of us were pretty excited at the fact that suddenly our calendars were wiped clean in those first <laughs> few weeks of the pandemic. I can remember just like looking up at the calendar by my desk and being like, it is empty. Wow. <laughs> and that was a thrilling thought for me. Uh, but then as the pandemic went on, I, you know, I, introverts can only be alone so much. Um, I, I personally started to feel like, okay, I, I need to find, I need to find a way to connect with my people again. I don't have a lot of people in my life, right? I just have a few people that I'm close to. Uh, but but I missed connecting with them. And from what I heard from other introverts is is a lot of them felt the same way that, it, you know, solitude is great, but you can only take so much. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's been a journey to figure out how to reacclimate. I can remember when the pandemic ended and suddenly it was like, oh, we're all we're all going out again. We're all, you know, talking to each other in person again. It was like, oh, my gosh, where did my social skills go? Like, I don't remember how to have a conversation. Uh, this is something I have to figure out again. And to that point, think about kids in school. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They were homeschooled for years, yeah. and especially in those I'll say the transformative years in terms of you know turning into a teenager or going into high school, they're trying to figure it out again. So I'm, I'm curious. I mean, someone's going to do a big you know Harvard Business School study on this or something at some point. Yep. So it's going to be a, an amazing uh, sociological uh, research study. So we'll see what happens. Do we know if introverts are more likely to be sensitive as well? So sensitive people and introverts, th there is some overlap. Uh, about 70% of sensitive people are thought to be introverts. So then that leaves about 30% being extroverts. So yes, the majority of sensitive people are introverted, but of course there are extroverted sensitive people. And I like to say that a sensitive extrovert looks a little different from a sensitive introvert because a sensitive extrovert might be that outgoing, warm personality. They might thrive on relationships. They might be a real people person and they feel comfortable expressing their emotions. You know, maybe, maybe they are the person who, who walks into work and is able to cry, right? <laughs> As a sensitive introvert, that would not feel comfortable for me. And in truth, probably it wouldn't feel comfortable for most people. So I, I shouldn't say that, but um, I, I think in general, what I'm saying is that sensitive extroverts feel more comfortable expressing those emotions than a sensitive introvert. Uh, but they still need downtime. If you're a sensitive person, whether you're introverted or extroverted, you need downtime. You need time to decompress. You need quiet time. We all need downtime, whether we're sensitive or not. Um, but it's just if you're sensitive, you tend to need more of it. So it can be a little frustrating and sometimes more than a little frustrating for extroverts who have an introverted friend, their silence can lead us to talk and talk and talk. We end up dom <laughs> dominating our time together and often end up feeling not very good about that. Do you have some rules for extroverts to follow when we interact with introverts? Are, are you asking me this question? Is this based on a real, real life example here? <laughs> asking Chris? for a friend. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> mm. Uh, with that, that's a great question. I love when people ask me, what are some rules for extroverts uh, to interact with introverts? Um, so what I find is that 
if you are an extrovert and you feel like you're talking on and on and on, ask the introverted question. Sometimes we introverts have something we want to say and we have something we want to talk about, but we just might wait until we're invited to talk about it. Personally, this is something that I am trying to get better at myself. I am trying to just not wait for an invitation to say what's on my mind. And it, it, it's, you know, I'm 40 years old. It has taken me my entire lifetime to figure out that this is what I need to do, to just say it instead of being waited to be invited to say it. Uh, but, you know, for introverts, we feel more comfortable when someone asks us a question. Sometimes we might not even think to say something, right? A lot of times I just don't even think to say it because it's on my mind it doesn't necessarily occur to me <laughs> to put it out there, right? It, it's on my mind. So why would I put it out there? Um, so yes, I would say number one tip is just ask introverts some questions. Of course, don't make it an interview. Don't be prying if they're obviously uncomfortable. There are some limits here. But yes, you can ask questions to help draw the introvert out. Duly noted for a friend. Thank you. <laughs> and if you sense that you're talking on and on, maybe just just stop for a moment. Deep, deep breath. Just stop and take a breath. Yeah. So let's flip the premise of the previous question around, or maybe tilt it on its side a little bit. Are there things that extroverts do that really, really bother their introverted friends? Mm, things that extroverts do that bother their introverted friends. Well, I think we've hit on one already, which is that that talking on and on. Um, I, I've certainly been in my share of, of situations where the other person just is talking on and on and on. Um. I think there are things, you know, um, I think extroverts often feel ready to connect, whereas introverts, they need a little mental preparation to step out of their heads and connect. So I think extroverts are more comfortable in general with spontaneity. So like suddenly an extrovert will be calling you or maybe the extrovert will say, hey, are you, can you go get lunch right now? Let's go grab lunch right now. Or, hey, let's go do this right now. And for a lot of introverts, that feels like, whoa, hold on. I am I am in my head. I'm in my introvert comfort zone. I am not necessarily mentally prepared to connect and step out of my head and step into the real world. So I think just giving some advance notice to introverts can go a long way, whether it's a phone call or, or plans or uh, or even just, you know, a conversation. But not spontaneous. Well... That's not, no, it's not what I said. <laughs> I can be spontaneous sometimes and so can many introverts. Um, prefer to be mentally prepared for something. Planners, I get it. Whenever possible. So are extroverts more shallow than introverts or do relationships mean less to extroverts because they make friends more easily? Oh, that's a great question. No, I don't think that that relationships mean less to extroverts. Um, I think extroverts just tend to have a lot more social energy. So it's easier for them to maintain a larger social network. Introverts just don't have that same amount of social energy. We just don't feel as rewarded by socializing as extroverts do. It, it has to do with dopamine in our brains. There's been a study that's found that introverts just don't their, their brains just don't light up as much or get as active as much at the possibility of a reward as an extrovert's brain does. And, and by reward, I mean, you know, uh, maybe meeting a new friend, getting a, a phone number of an attractive stranger, or just, you know, telling a joke and making everyone laugh and having people like you. Um, so, so introverts just don't have that same drive to seek out those rewards that extroverts do. Um, but Introverts are still human beings. They still need relationships. We all need strong, solid relationships to thrive. So I think introverts tend to go deep. They go deeper into their relationships. They want a few close relationships instead of, you know, having the energy to maintain a, a big social network. An American Perspective Survey found Americans today have, quote, fewer close friends than they once did, talk to friends less often, rely less on friends for their support. You write that the relationship deficit is even more prominent among men. Is this an indication that more people are introverted than ever before, or is this just a case of technology creating a greater divide among us? I would not say that more people are introverted than ever before. Introversion, like sensitivity, has a genetic basis. So you're 
probably born introverted or born extroverted. And of course, it's a spectrum, right? And, and we all act introverted at times and extroverted at other times. So it's not a hard and fast thing. But we do have these tendencies. Uh, so no, I, I don't think that we're necessarily becoming more introverted. But I do think that our society is changing in a way that makes it harder to connect with people. We're working from home. We don't have institutions that we used to have, uh, like like churches or other religious organizations or community groups. And yes, I think technology does play a part in this. We're behind screens instead of face to face. So yes, I I, I I I would say it's more that our world is changing and valuing connection less, unfortunately. And speaking of introverts, you are a self-declared introvert. I think some people would be very surprised an introvert had a podcast, the Introvert Dear Podcast. Are introverts and introversion sometimes misunderstood when it comes to a willingness to go out on that sort of a limb? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, just because I'm an introvert doesn't mean I don't have things I want to share with people or experiences I want to talk about. I'm an introvert and I love to talk about things that are personally relevant to me and interesting to me. And, you know, it, it, it does mean that when I do things like a podcast or even an interview like this, right, it, it drains my social battery. And I'll be honest, after this interview, I'm going to go and just be alone and recharge for a little while because that's what I'm going to need. And that's what I had to do on my podcast too. I enjoyed all those conversations but it drains your battery, right? I, I think if I were an extrovert, maybe I would feel like, oh, that was exciting. Let's keep going. Let's keep talking for another hour, Chris. <laughs> but an hour is going to be good for me and I'll need to go and um, relax and recharge my energy. Uh, so, it, so it's not that introverts are shy. It's not that we lack confidence. Some of the most confident people I know are introverts. But we do need to take that time afterwards to recover some of our energy. And we do that by, by having downtime or spending time alone. So are you politely telling me that I'm exhausting? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be the first, you won't be the last. <laughs> so you touched on this briefly earlier in the first half of the show. Is there such a thing as an extroverted introvert or an introverted extrovert? And if so, how can we tell someone fits into one of those categories? Yeah, I've written some blog posts about this. Um, so an extroverted introvert is just really someone who appears social and outgoing, even though really they're an introvert. They may have some characteristics of both extroversion and introversion. Some people call them ambiverts. Um, I think that, you know, I, I also think that you can be an introvert and just exhibit some extroverted characteristics from time to time. And really, we all fall somewhere on this spectrum. None of us are pure introverts or pure extroverts. Even extroverts need time alone and introverts need time with people. And those characteristics of, of how we present ourselves can change depending on the context. But again, we all kind of lean one way or another. Uh, so yeah, if, if you're an extroverted introvert, um, maybe you have a have a podcast, but then want to go <laughs> recharge alone afterwards. Um, or maybe you can, um, you know, you, you have a, a strong group of friends, but you need to take time alone to recharge. Maybe people will describe you as a people person, but really deep down, you know, well, <laughs> I am, but I also need my alone time. Uh, so it, it's really that mix of introverted and extroverted characteristics. All right, let's shift gears a little bit here for a moment. Do you have another book in the works right now, or are you still catching your breath after writing Sensitive? I am catching my breath and figuring out what to do next. I am designing a course, uh, an online course uh, to help sensitive people deal with overstimulation and overwhelming emotions. So that is where my energy is focused right now. Are there any famous introverts that might really surprise people if we suddenly recognize them for that trait? you know, politicians, musicians? Yes, absolutely. There are a lot of, uh, you know, kind of surprising introverts out there. Um, Meryl Streep, uh, the act actress, is an introvert. She says she's she's quite introverted. Uh, Lady Gaga, uh, the musician, also says she's introverted. Um, 
you know, I, I Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, uh, Abraham Lincoln, supposedly they are and were introverted. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times we, we think, oh, you know, you, you can't be an introvert if you're someone in the spotlight or you can't be an introvert if you're a leader. Uh, but you know, that's just not true, right? Um, introverts can step up and be leaders. Introverts can be entertainers. In fact, a lot of introverts, I think, feel more, they can feel more comfortable uh, putting on a role as an actor uh, or, 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 you know, maybe performing music on stage because it's something that they step into. It, it's sort of a persona that they step into. Uh, I know uh, Beyonce says she puts on this persona of Sasha Fierce, <laughs> right? She's, 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 she claims she's actually a shy person, but she puts on this strong persona when she steps on stage. Uh, so, so I think for introverts, there's a big draw there because, you know, when we're performing, um, we can show people our creativity and we can show people our inner world. And those things often go unnoticed in everyday life. Uh, but then we can also sort of put on this persona that is a little bit protective in a way because it's different from us. Yeah, it's fascinating talking about Meryl Streep and Beyonce and, and sort of leaving it on the stage and they're a totally different person off stage. So I never thought of that, but that makes complete sense. Yeah, yeah. So we have just a few minutes left. Where can people find your books or contact you if they'd like to have you speak to their group? Uh, sure. So like I said, you can find my book, Sensitive or The Secret Lives of Introverts, anywhere books are sold. You can find me uh, on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram under my name, Jen Graneman. I'm also on Facebook under my name, Jen Graneman. Uh, I run a blog called introvertdeer.com. That's D-E-A-R, like you're writing a letter, uh, not like the animal. <laughs> um, that is my the, the main place you can find me. Uh, but yeah, so if, if you Google my name, you will find me. And that's Jen with two N's. Jen with two N's. Yes, absolutely. And then quite a few N's in Graneman as well. Three, but not all together. Yes, very good. Yes, <laughs> yes. Jen Graneman, co-author of Sensitive, author of The Secret Lives of Introverts, founder of Introvert Deer, co-founder of Sensitive Refuge, and host of the Introvert Deer podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. That was a lot of fun. And thank you to our audience for joining us for another episode of Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details on upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek public figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place with our leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.